So it's not just ticking the box, yeah? It's really enjoying the whole journey. Let's say you want to make a million dollar. Okay, it is a journey. How can you enjoy it? How can you enjoy that solving that, that uh, problem that you have? And then, okay, you reach a million dollars. Maybe there's going to be another journey after that. Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where Lewis and I profile high performers. Today, we have Tal Gurr, a blogger, lifestyle entrepreneur, and devoted adventurer who spent a decade pursuing 100 major life goals around the globe. This included an Ironman triathlon, reaching financial independence, and interestingly, the hardest of all was creating a digital song. All of this culminated in his book, The Art of Fully Living, which we talk a lot about on today's podcast. Today, he lives in Bali and works on his online businesses. Yeah, so after reading the book, The Art of Fully Living, I was extremely excited for the opportunity to talk to Tal in this interview. We discuss the best ideas, stories, moments, and nuggets of wisdom from the book as it relates to setting your goals, choosing your goals, evaluating what happened from your goals, and all of the lessons involved in being an extremely, extremely high achieving person for over a decade. We also have the opportunity to be one of Tal's most recent interviews in about three years. He took a break from about 2018 to 2021. So it was really cool to see what he'd been up to in the time since the book was published and he kept on achieving. I'm going to quickly preface, there are a couple of spots here. He was, as Kyle said, taking it from Bali where we had some troubled internet, a little bit of background noise from typing and various other things that are pretty difficult to remove in the editing process. I assured you they're very brief and there are not many of them. So in the few spots they do pop up, be prepared They go away quickly and don't distract from the conversation with Tal. So with that, I'm going to switch over to our episode and I'm excited for you to learn from Tal just as we did. Enjoy. Welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm really excited for this conversation. I want to just briefly take a second to share the backstory. So over the summer, we had interviewed Thomas Lernovichus, which was a writer, kind of the first digital nomad. I really was diligently following the writing of for a couple of years now. And after getting him on and kind of having some friendly interactions with him after the fact, he'd offered to introduce us to anyone on his Habits and Routines interview series, uh, which is this incredible collection of documentation of people like yourself and how they, writers and entrepreneurs and how they organize their time and how they stay productive. And I looked through the list and I found yourself and I was like, oh, and his really name, that's interesting. It's the only one on the list. I used to live in Israel. I love Israel. I want to like read about this guy. I read your Habits and Routines article. thought it was fascinating. Binged your entire book in four days over the high holidays when I was staying at my grandparents' house. Uh, and then reached out to Thomas asking for the intro. And now we're here having this conversation. So I'm super grateful to have this opportunity to, to learn from you after having read your book. And I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. Yeah, looking forward. Absolutely. Well, real quick for everyone who has not had a chance to read your book in preparation for this interview like I have, could you give us just a bit of personal background and tell us where you're at now and kind of your, your quick elevator pitch? Uh, well, the book starts when I was uh, 30 years old. So it's like, I would say 13 years ago, 40, yeah, 14 years ago. And uh, basically it, was, uh, it starts like when I'm in Australia. And at that point, I was finishing my uh, master's degree. I also did it in computer science. And uh, I kind of asked myself, what's next? You know, what's next in life? Uh, because back then, you know, that was one of my biggest goals, like to study internationally in Australia. And I kind of completed it and I realized how, how much fun it is. Before that, I wasn't really like, a, I would say, goal setter. Like every, I mean, there's the New Year's Year resolution kind of tradition. And because I'm Jewish, we don't really celebrate New Year's, New Year's Eve. Uh, so I didn't really have the, that tradition. But uh, I decided to adopt it just because it felt uh, right. And so I, uh, maybe, maybe I'll share a little bit like how, uh, w w what happened during the age of 30. 
I, I had a conversation with my friends. We were like three friends discussing what's next. And uh, one of my friends says, said like, you know, he's not really like setting goals. He's not really into life goals and all of that. And asking why. And he said, because his dad died when he was 40 years old. And that really hit me, you know, uh, that suddenly kind of like felt more like there was a little bit more, uh, yeah, death and life. I was kind of reflecting on that. Uh, so when I basically that night, I went back home and I made a list of 100 life goals. I divided them to 10 categories, 10 areas of life. And I said, if I only had 10 years to live, that is roughly what I would want to do. So 30 to 40, it kind of felt right. 100 life goal felt right. And little did I know that, you know, it kind of changed my life from that point. Yeah, and you, and you really did it. You, you went for it, and 10 years later, it was 100 goals down. But, you know, first of all, like, thank you very much for, for choosing to come on our podcast. I know it's been a while since, you, since you've done one of these. Uh, I think it's 2018 was your last interview. So I'm really excited to sort of update the people on, on what you've been up to. Um, but, you know, you've done so much from creating financial independence in one year, meditating 60 days, meditating for 60 days in a row, going out 60 days in a row, sailing, like, so many different things and you seem to have done all this through like a really intentional um an intense um focus on one thing at a time and that's something that's come up throughout my research is just your your focus on the one thing and i know that 2020 for you was the year of community leadership so what is your one thing for 2021 uh 2021 is about investing uh not just financially investing but uh so I would say like my focus has shifted a little bit. I'm not just focusing on area. I'm also focusing on identity, like who I want to become. Because through this like 100 life goal journey, 10 year 100 life goal journey, I realized that it's less about the achievement. It's more about who I become. So my focus right now is like uh, integrating certain uh, identities, certain personalities that feels right at, the, at this stage. And the investor like really kicked in very well for 2021. So what does that kind of practically look like? Like what things are you going to do on like a daily basis to kind of evaluate success of, of that goal? Like what does achieving that goal look like? What are the, the steps to take to reach that goal? What's involved? So, so right, that is not a goal on its own. It's more of like an area of focus. A goal is more measurable. Sure. Yeah. So goals are derived from that, that focus or that area. So in, in my book, for example, every year I chose a different area of focus. So for example, in the year of fitness, I did an Ironman triathlon, which is it's a pretty big goal. Or in the year of uh, freedom, I did financial freedom. Again, another big goal. The reason I like uh, to go for big goals is because you extract more wisdom out of them. You go to some kind of extreme and there's more wisdom. And for me, that's part of the journey. Yeah? Like I, I measure my life based on wisdom based on love based on the value i provide i don't i don't measure my life uh based on how much money i make i don't measure my life based on how much achievements i have there's no end yeah like you know to, to the list so um going back to your question the area of focus is investing so now i derive certain specific goals that kind of embody that area of focus and one of them is is around uh, financial investing um yeah, like converting uh, fiat money to certain assets uh, in, on an ongoing basis. Also, I'm launching um, like a, a more an investing kind of uh, uh, program as well. So I'm going to learn a lot. Basically, one, one of the uh, cool things about goals 
is that you learn from them. Yeah, like so whatever whatever you set, there's learning around that, and that's kind of the most important thing for me to set to set a goal for. Like I'm asking myself, what do I want to learn, and then I set the goal. Yeah, I yeah. actually that that reminds me of uh, kind of the second question I have for you here. It fits really well into what you're just saying because. Uh, that's cool how on the front end, so right now, end of 2020, you're looking forward to 2021 saying, I've chosen goals based on what I want to learn. Uh, but a question I had for you after reading your book is, I mean, I really highlighted, I mean, such a large amount of this book on my Kindle. Like I highlighted, you know, maybe every third sentence or something, because I found so much wisdom and so many practical nuggets and ideas I wanted to be able to revisit, you know, and revisiting the book in a later session. And my question to you is what share of the ideas in the book and like those great nuggets of wisdom came from, you know, you sat down with the intention to write this book and you had a list of these ideas that you wanted to incorporate in there versus what actually became apparent to you in the process of writing it, that the the lessons that you shared, if that makes sense. First of all, I would say that this book wanted to be written. And one of the reasons it wanted to be written is because I almost wanted to close a chapter so if I look at the whole 10 years, one of the big identities that I integrated is the achiever. Yeah, I achieved quite a lot. And I felt that that was a good time to kind of close that chapter. Yeah, like the achiever right now is not so strong in me. Like I'm not necessarily, you know, for example, I didn't set another 100 life goals. And uh, I, I went to different type of identities, more around service, more around actually uh, humbleness as well. You know, like I didn't necessarily need as much pride or I don't need as much pride uh, right now anyway in, in my life in that sense. So it, it came into more of, okay, what, what can I give? And I have a lot of journeys around, around that. So the book kind of wanted to write itself, which meant that when I went into the process, I didn't know exactly what would be the uh, end result. And I, th- I really like the end result, you know, because I, I read a lot of books myself, and some of the books are either too much like, you know, kind of self-help, do this, do this, kind of here's the advice, uh, personal development kind of style. And some of the books, which I, and another kind of uh, types of books that I like is more of the biographies. People really share stories and the person kind of like learn from those stories. So I decided to combine both of them, like stories, then like, you know, lessons that I learned, stories that, and lessons that I learned. And again, it was, wasn't my intention in the beginning, but that's kind of how it unfolded. Uh, yeah. And uh, by the way, the book on its own was a goal. Yeah. And so the writer was an identity that I wanted to integrate. And when I say I, a writer, I, I meant like a published author, which is a little bit different than a writer because I was blogging before that. A published author is, is, a, is a little bit different. And for many years, I actually had the belief that uh, I can't be an author because English is not my first language. Yeah. So I had like uh, I had to go through a lot of achievements and a lot of process to kind of let go of that belief that I can't write a good book. Yeah, now now it's uh, I don't even have this belief. Yeah, like it's it's gone. But uh, um, yeah, that's a little bit of the backstory around the book. Yeah, Lewis and I are, are really big on uh, the removal of those limiting beliefs. And one thing I like, and one idea I like, is just. The, the sooner that you can remove some of those lim- limiting beliefs, the more that the, the compounding effect or the power of compounding can kick in over time. And that's one of the goals of the show is to help people to remove some of those limiting beliefs earlier in their life or as early as possible. Um, and I think that that's probably something that you've done a lot in the coaching that you've done through Elevate and the other um, different programs that you run. But I'm curious, like, 
you know, you've invested and mentored a lot of people since the release of your book and before it. Do you have a favorite uh, success story from one of your um, students, I guess? Um, yeah, there's so many. I mean, the, the interesting part is the, the reason the reason uh, I do it. First of all, I have a mentorship program that uh, I called Elevate Year, and it's a one year program. And the reason I chose one year, because for those deep changes, for big goals, you need uh, some time. And I also enjoy it. You know, I enjoy like, you know, seeing someone like manifesting something. I, I derive a lot of joy by someone else achieving their, their dreams. So in the beginning, when I started my coaching journey, you know, I, maybe I did three months here, four months there, like, you know, those, those kind of programs. But then I couldn't see like what happened uh, with, with my clients. Yeah. And so I literally wanted to see, okay, I want to see the results and it takes time. It's not necessarily like something so, so quick. So that's why I, ch I choose a year. Uh, a lot of people, by the way, who do the elevator here continue for another year. I have actually people who are actually doing six years with me. So that's quite wow. a commitment yeah, to go like, uh, and, and actually like say, okay, I trust the process. So I trust you and I trust going together for really incredibly big dreams. So, um, yeah, I mean, some of the favorite stories that I have are around like people who feel really stuck in their life, whatever it is, it could be a marriage, could be a job. And then like, they find like, like freedom. Yeah. And they find like abundance or they find like true love, um, like, yeah, big, big transformation. So I'm, I'm all, this, this is my, uh, I'm kind of dedicating my life for that. So I, I really enjoy that. That's amazing. I want to kind of uh, pretend we're in one of those situations right now almost. So Kyle and I are kind of looking at 2021 as a year of opportunity for ourselves. We've, through the process, and like we've told you, we've published around 50 episodes of this podcast, and uh, the people who are saying yes to coming on the show is like virtually unlimited. And we just, the confidence and the achiever identity this has given us and the kind of anything is possible attitude we've developed in the process of some of the things we've done on the show. And Kyle and I also a few months back did a very difficult fitness challenge, the 75 hard, if you're familiar with that one. And it's kind of opened our eyes to what we can do as individuals and created this vast array of possibilities for what do we want to do next year, given kind of all of this potential. So my question to you is in a hypothetical kind of coaching environment, and you see someone who already has, they, they believe that they're capable of a lot, but they kind of lack that focus or the discipline or they're just overwhelmed by opportunity and overwhelmed by choice. Cause it's like, sure, I could travel a hundred countries or I could train for the Ironman, or I could just only eat meat for a year. How do you kind of walk someone through the process of deciding and figuring out what are the most high impact goals and figuring out where to go next, given a lot of opportunity and potential? Well, the, the first stage would be, uh, so I would say like one of the, the identity that every person has is the investor. So the investor, again, it's not just financial investing because you invest the most precious thing you have, which is time. So the investor basically need to kick in and say, how much resources, how much time, how much energy, how much money actually I want to devote to that question of uh, answering uh, uh, what is a great life, uh, answering fulfillment, answering purpose. So I would say most people treat their life too casually. Yeah, like it's casual. It's like they're reacting, reacting to this, reacting to this. Even if there's opportunities, it's usually reacting. So there's no, um, they don't kind of like stop for a second. And when I say for a second, I mean like a week, a month. So for example, my process uh, during, let's say, uh, even now, December, I take like more than a week, like being on my own and really reflect uh, on all the lessons that I learned the previous year. Uh, I would say that my, my uh, reflection process is quite, uh, quite extensive. So I, I reflect every week. Uh, 
And then like at the end of the year, I can literally see the, the progress. Yeah, I see the learning. And then, uh, then it gives me a glimpse what was 2020 about. Yeah, what was the last year about? And it's sometimes like, again, like those thing, uh, patterns emerge. And I would say paying attention to patterns are, is the most important thing. So you, patterns emerge and then you can see, oh, this is the, this is the trend or this is what's calling me to integrate, or this is what I want to learn. So that's one thing, pattern. Another good exercise is to literally think about uh, the end of your life and looking back and asking yourself, okay, if I only had a year, only had five years, what would be really important? What would be really meaningful? Uh, not just what would be, I don't know, what would just give me more pleasure, like combining also uh, uh, purpose and meaning and, and so forth. And every person has a different answer. You know, I will have different answer. You will have a different answer. And the, we, we both can derive meaning from different things. So I would say, again, like it's, it's a question of reflection, uh, deep focus, and, and uh, de dedicate resources to that, to, to that exercise. And also, I would say uh, I highly recommend having some kind of a support system, a mentor, coach, whatever, to because, because a lot of time we're, we're like fish in the water. We don't see... We don't see our, it's for me very easy to see others, like, you know, what is potentially limiting beliefs, what is the, the heart of the challenge, but with myself, I can be blind. So being in a process where you have a mirror is extremely important. So that's kind of what, what I, I feel like, just a, a few things to, to share. Um, but I would say, yeah, again, starting, starting with that, and then uh, you gain experience. I mean, I'm already having like 20 years of experience around goal setting, around uh, in, intentional uh, uh, achievement and so forth. So, so it's in my blood. But for another person, I think it's just getting into it. Yeah, I, I really like that. And it's like the getting lost in the trees is something that Lewis and I often do instead of rather looking at the forest and, and making those decisions like, like you're saying. And one exercise that I like to do sort of along the lines of what you're talking about is like, imagining that I'm on my deathbed or 85 years old or, or however you want to quantify it and looking back and thinking from like an investor mindset, how much, which moments would I trade the most amount of money for? And that's helped me to sort of quantify like what is important in life. Cause even at 20 years old, you know, looking back, like the, the moments that I would trade the most money for aren't the moments that I uh, of achievement of getting the biggest podcast guest or or making an a on that test or whatever it may be rather it's like the moments where we're uh, i'm with my family or with my girlfriend or hanging out with lewis you know it's like and and that's helped me a lot to see what is important and think about it in that way to, in order to maximize the future for more moments like that um so i i totally agree with what you're saying i think I think invest the investor mindset is like a lot deeper than uh, it, it is what you're saying. It's not just financial. It's not financial. I think that the the um, the frameworks around investing financially are some of the best like mental models that you can apply to um, your everyday life in terms of like evaluating the downside and and picking what has the highest upside relative to the downside. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say sometimes you want to let go of the investor, of course. Yeah, like the investor needs to kick in in certain... I see myself like, again, there's the managing director and there's all those archetypes, all those identities. And uh, I decide who's going to be the CEO. 
But at the end of the day, I'm the managing director. Yeah, like for example, uh, you don't want the investor kick 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 in when you're lovemaking. Yeah, you want the lover to be there. Yeah, uh, it's not just always transaction. It's not just like um, yeah. So so again, it's very important to to also look at the like like potentially the answers are different at any given moment. Maybe right now you have this. You say what's meaningful for me is to spend more time with my family. But actually, maybe a year from now, you would say the most meaningful uh, thing for me right now is actually not to spend time with my family and connecting with myself and actually finding like uh, and actually disconnecting from family. So the answers are always different. Another thing that I would say is when you look into the future, when you do this exercise of 85 years old, you can also do the exercise of, let's say I only have one year to live because maybe the answers are different. So I like the perspective of short-term, long-term and combining them. Yeah, like potentially what would be good for me in the next month may be different from, you know, what's good for me in 10 years. So just combining different perspective, I find, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of another level. Yeah. That's really like, I've sort of, I've lived life last year or so looking at it from that perspective. So thinking about it in like a multi-layered perspective or perspective perspective i guess i don't know uh the key in life uh, in my opinion is integration right integration integration is a very important word what it means is that um you know for example when you look at life you can say oh this is good this is bad yeah and so we have this kind of judgment uh perspective on things but it's not necessarily that it's always bad it's not necessarily that it's always good inherently good or inherently bad it just means that right now we make a judgment call so when I say integration, integration means, like, for example, I can look at anger. And most people would define anger as a bad thing. But potentially, there is a room for anger in a certain uh, component or in, a, in a, a specific way when you release that anger, if you do it consciously. So, so what, what I'm trying to say is, like, integration of what you potentially resist or what potentially you see as bad or, or going beyond duality. Because love which a lot of people really, that's what they want to experience, is beyond duality. It's beyond opposites. And uh, going for the lessons, going for the integration of whatever it is that you, that you want to, to integrate, uh, in my opinion, that makes like a, a life very meaningful. Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things I learned from your book was, I think you kind of go through this fairly... Uh, I mean, like this pattern that you see a lot with people that, like you said, have that intentional achievement mindset. They, in the first couple of years or the first couple of goals, set the the fitness, the money, uh, the very easily quantifiable, and then they kind of graduate into the higher levels, the service, the emotions, the less thinking, more feeling, intuition, creative expression. And it's kind of like the hierarchy of where people move along. Uh, and it kind of shows that, you know, yes. maybe... Uh, people don't need to wait as long to, I mean, there are benefits that come from that last step that people could really enjoy earlier on. And that's, that's a question I have for you kind of still on the uh, emotional side of things. You, you have this lesson in the book about one of the stories that sticks out to me most is how you thought you were happy. And then the happiest person you ever saw in your life was a housekeeper at like a rental hostel, like a rental hotel. Uh, and then you go on to explain how, this person has found a way to be happy in the moment they're at because of, you know, all of the, the blessings they have and they're safe and they're secure and that should be enough. Uh, and it kind of made you reorient the way you saw your future goals is not for happiness, but from happiness. 
Uh, and that's one of the things I've really been trying to instill in my own mind. Uh, could you just kind of tell a little bit more about that experience uh, and how that changed like the journey and like the point you're at in the journey and how the journey was altered by it? Okay, yes. So, so a lot of time through the journey, throughout the journey, you'll have a realization. Like for example, I had this realization with this, uh, with this woman who was so happy, my God. And like, she was just, uh, you know, she was just cleaning my, my, my home. And so realization is one thing. It's only the first step to integrate it and to embody it into your life require uh, like going to the gym, requiring letting go of beliefs, yeah, requiring like changing. And uh, yeah, like what I want to say about that, that, like it took me a lot of years to let go of a lot of what the achiever wants. The achiever wants to achieve, all right? He wants to tick the box. And it's not necessarily, again, like the, the, the achiever can, again, achieve a lot of things, but it does, you won't necessarily feel fulfilled or, or, or you won't necessarily feel as much pleasure. The achiever, the achiever might not actually feel pleasure, may not even enjoy the journey. So you, you want to integrate a more, uh, like another aspect. And then that aspect you want to ask, okay, if I had that identity, let's say of the, the, the cleaner, yeah? Like, what does she believe? What is she, what, what, what's, what's important for her? What's her habits? Because I could look at it, oh, she's just a cleaner. And I say, oh, I'm, I don't know what, a CEO. So I'm definitely doing better than life. But then that means that I measure life through achievement. Maybe there's better ways to measure life, yeah? Like maybe again, through how much pleasure I have or how much love I have in my life. So it requires, like I would say, courage. The courage to kind of really dig deep into uh, like, we, we kind of sometimes have attachment to who we think we are. We think we are, again, I thought I'm the achiever, yeah? I was so identified with it. And so the courage was to, okay, let's say I'm not the achiever, so who am I? And then there's a big, big question come from that question, come from that question, like, who am I? And then you realize, oh, I am whoever I want to kind of in, like embed into my life. Like, so I have a choice. I really, mm. truly have a choice. I'm not so just conditioned because I've been conditioned by society to achieve, to achieve, to achieve. There's safety in it, there's whatever. Um, and again, like the last thing that I want to say is that like the achiever, I love, I love him. I don't want to deny him. I don't say, oh, you know, the achiever, we don't, we don't want him anymore. No, I want him in my life, but just to kick in when it's important, not so much like how, how it used to be so, uh, so there. Uh, the, the achiever has amazing, you know, ability to go into habits. It's very effective. You know, there's, uh, so many good stuff about about that type of identity. So I think again, like it's it requires courage. Maybe that's that's my answer to look deep of uh, into who you are. Yeah, and I think that gives context to for me at least about what you were saying earlier about adopting identities. Because when you said it, I, I was sort of lost uh, as to like what that meant. But when you frame it as a choice, like I am this, I am this, you can be whatever you want as long as you're willing to say it and and do what you are trying to be uh but i'm curious you know you are a meditator you've been meditating for years i think now um how has meditation affected your ability to integrate some of these ideas that you're talking about well i would say that right now i'm not meditating as much as i used to uh mm -hmm. so i still meditate i mean i can meditate right now while speaking with you with with open eyes so it's, it's not, um, it's, it's a different type of meditation. Meditation is, is some kind of a focus, yeah? So I can focus on my breathing and I can focus on, on the taste of my, uh, of my coffee or, or whatever I'm drinking. 
So the meditator has, I would say, I upgraded him. Yeah. Now I can meditate with open eyes. I don't need to close my eyes or sit or lay down or not, not, I'm not saying that it's not useful. It can be useful, but in my, the way I want to live my life is with my eyes open. Yeah. I want to live my life in the world, not outside of the world. So a lot of time, a lot of medita meditators, what they do is like they, um, they detach. Yeah. They, they get out of the world. Uh, sorry, get out of the, the physical world in order to whatever, whatever the reason, which is extremely, extremely useful. But then again, the question that, that, uh, that I ask myself is like, in terms of identity, like, like what, what type of meditator do I want to be? And I definitely want to enjoy pleasure. And I definitely want to eat chocolate. I don't want to be a monk in a mountain and so forth. So it's, it's a different type of uh, meditating. And, it, and I would say it's extremely, extremely, extremely important. Because, because um, if we go back to the, the, the cleaner, yeah? The cleaner basically prioritized her happiness. You know, she was less concerned about like being like a big shot CEO or something like that. She said, you know, here, I'm like, I'm simplifying life. Happiness is I have a job, enough. That's, that's, that's enough. For most people, that's not enough, yeah? They want to, they need to have something to be happy. Uh, and there's addiction to that. So where, where I'm going with that, like around meditation is sometimes we need to remind ourselves what's really important. And I call it alignment. You're aligning, to, to, you're aligning with who you truly are. And who you truly are is beyond the investor, the achiever, whoever you know, you, you, you're embodying. That, that's for me why meditation is so important because it's like this kind of ability to remind yourself who you really are and what's really true in, in each moment. I think that's an extremely interesting uh, explanation of kind of the benefits you've achieved from meditation over time. It's truly is a practical skill set that at the end of the day, you don't do it for its own right. You do it in service of a greater why. Uh, and if you've gotten good enough at the skill of, of self-awareness and analysis and um, being present and all of the other uh, abilities that meditation is preached to instill in you, then it makes sense that you have, uh, again, graduated your practice to, to take on a different form. Uh, but I want to transition now to ask about something uh, we have not talked about, which is kind of always funny for an audio podcast, the something that the listeners wouldn't know unless we brought it up. So you're taking this call from Bali, uh, which is very different from anywhere we've had a podcast call in from in an exciting uh, new place. So I want to ask you, uh, one, how and why you chose Bali after traveling the world over uh, and why you chose that to be the place that you settle in a more long term after years and years of settling around and kind of what about the environment specifically kind of reinforce the lifestyle and the identities that you decided were important to you? Yeah. So, so I would say in general, every place uh, has a certain energy and environment is extremely important. So for example, let's say I want to, um, I don't know, maybe give me a goal that you have, like a big goal that you have. And then, and then we can, uh, I can give an example. Write online, yeah. become, become yeah. like make money from writing, let's say. Okay. So start a writing based uh, business. Great. So if you if you take the environment pers uh, perspective into uh, into question, then like you can say, okay, certain environments will bring that writer more uh, in a more potent way. Yeah. Uh, for example, when you go to a church, 
you naturally speak more quietly. You don't shout in a church. So environment can really enforce certain, uh, uh, certain behavior, certain identity can really come kick in. So Bali is a great place where there's an amazing beauty here, sacredness. Uh, it's, it's a very relaxed place, very feminine, actually. Very extremely feminine. So if you ask me, like, you know, why I'm in Bali is because I wanted to kind of highlight more of those. Or I want to bring more of those uh, qualities into my life. Beauty, feminine, love. Uh, there's, there's very relaxed lifestyle here. You know, it's not crazy New York, like achieve, achieve, achieve. And again, I'm not, not, nothing to say against New York. Uh, sometimes, again, this is what you need. So go to New York. Yeah? You need that like high intensity and maybe you need access to money. And so maybe go to San Francisco. So it's choosing places consciously, choosing locations consciously. That's easy from a country perspective, but you can do it from a city perspective. You can design your home in a certain way. You can choose your friends in a certain way. So you literally design the environment that will best support what wants to come out. No, that's really interesting. That's that's one place that I had mentioned to you kind of before we had started the call that I uh, had spent a lot of time in Thailand uh, before uh, last year, I guess around this time. And Bali is one of those places I had really intended to get that I uh, never did. I'm trying to... Uh, think of where we could take this next because you really, uh, kind of like I just mentioned in the last little monologue I did, you, over the course of your 10 years, right, you kind of touch every core uh, part of the human experience in terms of achieving fitness goals. And we kind of build this podcast as uh, connecting with people who have already been successful at the things that we want to do ourselves. Uh, and then teaching the people who listen, obviously, the lessons that arise from the conversations. And we've discussed fitness and we've discussed entrepreneurship and we've discussed meditation and writing. And it's just like this overwhelming uh, amount of possibilities. I'm kind of almost at a loss. I'm trying to think. One thing that we have covered yeah. a lot is volunteering and service. Know, yeah, and service. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where in the um, which year it was that you dedicated to service. But how did that year, because I know you talk about the interconnectedness of like fitness and freedom and how you built really good habits, training for the Ironman, and that allowed you to practice those habits when building your business. So I'm not sure which year um, service was, but how did you view everything differently after that year of service? Yeah, at the end, I would say, uh, again, if I look at life in general, life for me, it's almost like a play, yeah, like a game kind of thing. And then when you achieve so much, what do you do with all the things that you kind of accumulate? You can, uh, again, gain more and more and more numbers. But then to me, it's like I wanted to um, give, literally give back because I felt like I achieved so much. I'm so privileged. I traveled all over the place. I, I have so much, you know, I, even in terms of wisdom. Yeah. Like I have so much wisdom and I, and I wanted to share it. Yeah. And so now it's like, even the book can be an act of service. It doesn't have to be volunteering. Service is literally means that like you're, you're uh, here to serve others as well. Not just for, not just to gain and they, and they work together. Yeah. Like gaining and serving go, works together. As I said before, you don't want to deny the, the one that just accumulates. You want to kind of combine both of them. Service is extremely, extremely important, I would say. And, and usually people who are very abundant, um, they tend to, to uh, gravitate towards service. Uh, and when I say really, really abundant, 
I don't mean from an external perspective. I mean internally. Because, you know, you can, we can take someone like, uh, I don't know what, a billionaire that just need more money to prove that he's great. That's not an abundant person. That actually comes from scarcity. It comes from fear of not having enough. And so, so potentially you won't share, share that well. But a person that like, okay, feel like very, very abundant, it's easy for them to share. Yeah, like it's overflowing. Just imagine like, you know, you're, you're a full cup. You, you're full, yeah? Like you, you want to share it. Yeah, you want to share it with the world. Like how much can you fill the cup? <laughs> when, when, it's a good question to ask. When's enough is enough? How much money do you need to be safe? How much, uh, again, for me, safety is not around money, but like how, how much do you need to prove yourself that you're great? So I did an Ironman. Okay, amazing. Do I need to do five Ironman to feel that I'm great? Or am I already great? And that's enough. Now let me share that. I think that the optimal stopping point is such a difficult thing that I think the achiever mentality and something I obviously have uh, struggle with is, okay, because you believe that you can do anything. And so you all of a sudden say, well, if I'm not doing the full extent of my physical capabilities, I'm like not, you know, I'm insufficient or I'm not achieving anymore. And uh, it's just finding a point to be satisfied with reaching a, a certain level of achievement and saying, yes, an Ironman is a good enough physical achievement. And Anything beyond that is truly just bonus, and I do not need to be harder on myself to, to go past that uh, and applying that same kind of way of thinking to other situations. Uh, but I, I know we're running up on our time here, so I just want to ask you one quick question. You really have lived out a life for the past 15 years or so that both myself and Kyle would really uh, be inspired to have you know the next 15 years of our lives closely resemble in terms of You're just going after... Absolutely. Just going after... Uh, what's important to us and taking risks and growing as a person, constantly challenging ourselves. So if you could give just kind of one parting piece of advice to someone in our situation, a 21, 20 year old person about to graduate college and wanting to live a full life, uh, what would that piece of advice be? Yeah, that you can find a lot of meaning in challenges and struggling and even suffering itself. So a lot of people trying to find meaning in just pleasure, yeah, like or comfort. And I would say, uh, uh, you can have so much joy coming. Again, it, it, it sounds like a little bit of a paradox that you can find joy in pain. But when, for example, when I did an Ironman triathlon, I realized, oh, pain can be pleasurable. So um, I'm, I'm not like advocating you go toward pain and just not like uh, uh, enjoy comfort. Yeah, have comfort and whatever. But like, I wouldn't judge struggling. I wouldn't judge challenge, challenging yourself. There is a lot of joy in it. So in other words, the, the, the advice would be to embrace the challenge, uh, embrace the pain, potentially embrace the discomfort that comes out of it, and then enjoy it. So it's not just ticking the box. Yeah? It's really enjoying the whole journey. Let's say you want to make a million dollars. Okay, it is a journey. How can you enjoy it? How can you enjoy that solving that, that uh, problem that you have? And then, okay, you reach a million dollars, maybe there's going to be another journey after that. So that's the, the biggest advice. And another thing that I would say about the achiever, the achiever is really, really important. Yeah, like, so in the early stages, I would say a lot of people need that personal success, yeah, before they go into service. There's, there's potentially no shortcuts here. So you may want to really feel secure, not just in your mind, not just intellectually. Okay, you heard this podcast, you say, oh, okay, you know, I, I understand it intellectually. The body it takes it time to really integrate things. So you may want to have certain successes before you feel that you can literally give to the world and serve the world. Like I'm, I'm right now working on like 
like giving all my wealth, basically. Like I, I don't re- actually at the end of my life, I don't want to own anything. Like so to me, it's like to get to a point where I feel comfortable to start sharing that 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 wealth that I built, that wisdom that I built. Uh, it takes time. So go for personal success and then potentially service will come out of that. And if you can combine along the way, amazing. Tell. Thank you so much. That's really good parting advice for Lewis and I. And I think that, you know, it'll take us many re-listens of this episode to fully internalize everything that you've said, because it's been so, um, it's right at us, you know, because we are that, that person that you're, that you're talking to. So thank you very much for, for taking your time out of your day to, to come and share all of that with us and, and share that wisdom with our audience. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, I would say that uh, you have real talent, the two of you, like definitely around this. I mean, I've been interviewing quite a lot of people and uh, yeah, you're doing well. So keep keep it up. Thank you so much. And that wraps up our interview with Tal Gurr. Uh, I thought it was super, super interesting. It's been a while now since we recorded it, but something that's stuck with me um, since then has been his idea about integration and how like, you know, I think a lot about how I'm on Twitter, I'm like reading things, there's all these different sources of information flying at me. And it's all like good advice, but none of it matters unless you integrate some piece of it into you. Really, if you don't integrate anything, like it's all worthless, like you shouldn't have been consuming all that content anyways, if you didn't um, have some sort of like, idea that it was going to benefit you and then put that into practice. Um, so I think that that was really like mind blowing for me to hear it explained like that. Uh, and something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, and then another thing was where he was talking about looking backwards from multiple perspectives. I shared, um, one of the sort of mental models or frameworks that I like to use when thinking about the world. And that's like, um, looking back from the age of 80, how, how many dollars would you trade for these different moments? And I think he challenged me by saying, instead of looking back from 80, why don't you look back from 25 or 30 or 45 and just frame it from that perspective. And, and things are different when you jump to those different um, periods of time. So I, I think, you know, just like integration, that's a thing that has changed the way that I sort of look at the world because before it was all about like looking back from 80, but it's like, you're going to be 35 at some point too. So you need to think about that period of time as well. And that was interesting to me. And then Lewis, we just recorded the intro and he talked a lot about achieving and being an achiever. And I think one of the pieces of um, advice from him was like the achiever is one piece of a, a person and there are all these other pieces that make you who you are and they're all equally as important or maybe not equally as important, but definitely different levels of importance at different periods in different periods of your life. Um, and I think for him at this point, being the achiever is less important than most other things. Um, and while and, and that's just a product of him having like lived this crazy, fully lived life over the last 10 years, you know, um, and then alongside that, just like being able to, you know, not be so obsessed with that achieving mentality and instead being able to focus on, uh, you know, beauty and like art and these other things I think is, is really valuable and something that I needed to hear um, as well. But what do you think, Lewis? Yeah, I want to first talk about your first point you brought up there about the multiple perspectives and kind of living for different 
periods of time based on when you look back. I think the other framing there he brought up that's just as important is talking about just from death too, right? So people talk about on my deathbed, uh, what do I want to be proud that I did? But the key insight for him was that friend whose dad died when they were, when the dad was 40. Uh, and all of a sudden when he was 30, he's like, oh, wow, so 10 years might actually be my life expectation. So what would I do? How would I live differently if I was going to die uh, 10 years from now? Because this is something I first heard from our friend of ours named Joe Weeby. Uh, you don't want to live your life as if you're going to die tomorrow, right? That's not reasonable enough based on the probabilities. If you're going to die tomorrow, you'd probably, you know, do a whole lot of like hedonistic activities because, you know, you're just going out tomorrow. Uh, if you're going out a year from now versus five years from now versus 50 years from now, each of those is going to be different. So each of those is a valuable thought exercise. So if it was five years from now, uh, which is not as unreasonable as, you know, tomorrow, for example, you're going to have to live somewhat responsibly, but you also don't want to leave any of your major ambitions on the table for someday, maybe never. Uh, so I think that is such that alone, you know, makes an interview like this worth doing, right? You learn they, there's that saying about buying a book. If a book teaches you just one idea, it was worth the money spent to buy the book. If an interview teaches us just one idea of that caliber, it's worth the time spent preparing for researching, editing the interview. Just one idea like that. I mean, it's extremely powerful. I think some other uh, less deep and uh, morbid ones that are interesting as well are kind of the relationship between environment and goals. This is something I think about often, especially right now being in a very different environment than I was in, for example, doing the interview. Uh, the interview was conducted. I was at my parents' house. That's in Las Vegas. I have a pool. I have dogs. I'm living with my family every day. Here, I'm you know living with roommates every day. I'm seeing exclusively people between 18 and 24 are the only people I interact with. And that is a very set, different set of circumstances and a community with a different set of values uh, than living in a household 24-7 with two people in their 50s. I mean, that's just neither is better, neither is worse. Uh, it's just extremely different. And I go about my day differently and different thoughts enter my brain because of that environment. So from a practical perspective, you know, New York City for access to capital or for the theater scene to be hyper-specific to something unique of New York City versus Bali for that spiritual energy. So depending on where I want to go next, I really need to let environments be a major factor I consider. Uh, third takeaway is meditation. He was meditating with his eyes wide open. I thought that was funny. Uh, definitely a bit of a power move, but not as deep of a takeaway as the other ones. I just thought we had to bring up how fun that was that he's like, I could be meditating right now. You'd have no idea. Uh, so that was awesome. Uh, last takeaway, because that one didn't count. I just wanted to bring that up is the idea of limiting beliefs versus coaching. This is something that has come up again and again and again. Uh, we are pretty bad, myself, Kyle, Tal, all of us uh, identifying our own weaknesses versus and identifying the specific one thing, right? Now it's two interviews in a, in a row about there's only one thing on any given project. There's only one bottleneck at any given point in time. And we're pretty bad at pointing out what that thing is. Uh, versus I could ask Kyle, what's the one thing holding me back? And he'd tell me I need to go out and date more. Uh, versus I was like, ah, I think it's because I didn't write 349 words. I only got 348 out. He's like, no, I think it's the other one. So point being, when you have an external party accountable and committed to helping you see what you can't see or what you're not as good at pointing out, that's when you really expedite your pro progress. Uh, and that's something for those of you that have listened to multiple episodes have probably heard over and over again. So get on it. Uh, that is all I have to say about this awesome interview with Tao Gur. Kyle and I are both extremely grateful to him and Thomas Lernavichus for putting us in contact with him. Uh, if you have been enjoying this episode and our long-winded takeaways here at the end, I would encourage you to take a listen to some of our recent episodes. Episode 53 with Jeff Woods, we talk more about the idea of making high 
leverage decisions to live your highest, best, most prioritized, most productive life. Episode 52, we talked to Dickie Bush about how writing online every single day is the highest leveraged thing you can do. We walked through the story of developing Hydrant, uh, which is not about high leverage, but it is about hydration in episode 51 with John Sherwin. And if you want to hear us talk more, episode 50 is a lot of Kyle and I with our friend Danny just schmoozing. So check out one of our recent episodes if you enjoyed this one, because you will also enjoy that one. That is all I have to say for this week, and we'll catch you in another week with the next episode. Thanks for listening. See ya.